Isn't it just cool when you can feel God's presence? I think we all sense that this morning, and there's just a joyful fellowship together, and that is precious. We're going to tackle some difficult matter today, and I'll just be honest, I probably won't do it justice, but I'll do my best. (laughs) And uh, we're going to continue on our journey of faith um, for this week and probably next week, and that will be the finish. Um, So with that in mind, let me get started. As we discussed, kind of just to catch up for those of you who may have missed last week, uh, we discussed last week that there's a faith that does not necessarily merit salvation or God acting on our behalf. There's a faith that man makes of his own self, right? Uh, Man can believe strongly in something, and they may be willing to risk much, including their reputation, even in the process of that demonstration. Um, we looked at the example of these guys who are trying to run across the top of water in their own abilities and how that could never be possible. Um, this could mean many hours of scientific research to prove your theory or devoting your life to serving a certain cause, uh, attempting something no human has never ever done before. Those are, those are amazing acts. However, as we looked at the example of Peter walking on water, the important thing we learned last week is we recognize that it wasn't an intellectual, intellectual faith that Peter had. It was a faith in a specific object. And that object was Jesus Christ. And he talked about how his eyes were on Jesus Christ. And when he took him off Christ, is when he began to sink. Christ being the object of our faith. The great men of faith that we have spoken of over the past weeks that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 were not honored because of their strong determination a belief in mankind's ability to overcome. No, they were honored because their faith was in God himself. He was the object, the motivation, the definition of their faith. And because of this faith, God was moved to do miracles on their behalf. Amazing things which we saw fulfilled through the scriptures. Thank you so much. I needed that this morning. And so, in Hebrews 12, we see how it concludes this epic chapter on men of faith by saying... Let us look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. However, there is another gospel being preached today across America. A man named Bart Campolo. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. I'm going to take a quick drink of water. (laughs) Not my brother. A man named Bart Campolo, he is the son of a famous evangelist, Tony Campolo. And Bart has left the Christian faith and has made it his mission to promote good human relationships and social justice. He has become a social socialist, social humanist or something like that, and an agnostic, okay? There is a video where Bart Campolo stands in front of... Um, uh, a conference at USC, University of Southern California, and he is speaking to the Student Alliance Corporation. This is basically the group of people who try to promote student groups within campuses, okay? And he is speaking to them, and he is trying to share with them how they can better organize as secular student groups to be able to compete with large Christian organizations like Campus Crusade for Christ. He says, The Christian community is attractive 
And he kind of talks about how he originally came into what he would call becoming a Christian, but I would say he never really became a Christian, okay? And he says what, what is compelling about the Christian community and attractive is that they are relational. They know how to love people. They have clear values and purposes. We need to show that we can be secular and still be good, still love people, and have a purpose. And you can see a lot of emptiness within his statements. As I listened to this, I was like, whoa, (laughs) you totally never understood it at all. Because you think somehow in human efforts that you can be these things and do these things? Bart Campolo has openly denied God and claims that what truly attracted him to Christianity in the first place was that community aspect and then he later adopted their beliefs. And along with this video, you'll see him say a couple of times, I still never believed in God. But yet, he's now become even an evangelist himself, and he's going out because he was good at it. He's going out and he's preaching the gospel. But there's some scary things, about, some things that he said that I will say, his reasons for leaving the faith. He started with, he said, rejecting God's sovereignty because of a friendship he had with a rape victim. He rejected the authority of the Bible based on his love for people of other beliefs and practices, and he could not bear to see the idea of them being condemned to eternal punishment. And so he rejected the authority of the Bible when it calls those things sin. He rejected the idea of anything supernatural like the miracles of Jesus Christ. And it is not evident, I would say, whether he ever personally put his faith in Jesus Christ from anything that he says, and I would say that he hasn't. But he was immersed in a Christian culture, and he was brought up in a Christian home, and so he became a product of Christianity without ever having a true faith in Jesus Christ. He was good at what he did. What is scary about this is except for his lack of acknowledgement of God, there's hardly any difference between him and a new movement called progressive Christianity. Okay? Progressive Christianity is really what has come out of, if some of you may have heard of the emergent church movement. Okay? And Rob Bell, out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, is one of the, was one of the big lead man in this movement of the emergent church. And out of that has come what they now call progressive Christianity. And I want you to catch some things. I'm just going to share a couple things that as I read about progressive Christianity, it's kind of their belief system that they hold to. God is not sovereign. We can take the principles of loving God and loving others, the good things from the Bible, and make a better world. The things that we don't like from the Bible, these are my interpretation of what you see them state in their beliefs. Okay, The things we don't like from the Bible, like judgment, God's justice, his holiness, or even the wrath of God, we don't have to take that stuff literally. We can set that aside. Okay? So, we should love and accept and tolerate all people, even to the extent of not saying that their beliefs are necessarily wrong, or that Jesus is the only way to heaven. While I have to say I have to commend these groups because these groups are very, very active in charitable organizations, and in trying to reach out and love people who are in poverty and who are in need. And we need to be better at that as believers in Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a major problem here. 
And it really boils down to this question, what is saving faith? Is being a good person enough? Because behind these belief systems is the idea that there are certain things we don't like about the Bible because they're hard to believe, but we feel like if we're a really good person, God's going to accept us. If we go out and love people and care for the needy and create a community and create a purpose, as Bart Campolo says, then we've done what we needed to do. So our subject today, what is saving faith? We're going to go to Romans chapter, the end of chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 10 this morning. And let me pray before we open up the Word of God. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship. Uh, Lord, to be taught from your Word. Father, I know that I am learning even as I teach and that you are uh, ministering to all of us and your Holy Spirit will help us to understand what your word says, and so I thank you for that this morning and ask that you would just use me as an instrument of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 9, 31 through 10, 2. Actually, I'm going to read from 30 to start off. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But, the, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a stumbling, of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, speaking again of Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear witness, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And later on we're going to touch on 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So Paul here, he's speaking to believers, and he is explaining to them the difference between those who have attempted to achieve righteousness in their own efforts and have failed, and those who have by faith successfully attained righteousness. When I talk about righteousness I'm not talking about the sense that they're living a holy, perfect life, but that they have been justified. God has declared them righteous because Jesus Christ's blood that they have put their faith in has cleansed them. So why being a good person isn't enough? First, we look at Israel in verse 31. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Okay, so Israel is desiring to be righteous, all right? And if you want to talk about an example of very good people, very religious, law abiders, in many ways I would say their righteousness far surpassed our own. You could look at the people of Israel. You could say they were very good, yet, what does it say here? They did not succeed in acquiring righteousness. 
just remind you of a couple verses from Scripture. Scripture says, all of our righteousness as is, is as filthy rags. Okay, even our best, when we compare it to the standard of a holy, righteous God, can never meet his standard. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Titus 3, 5. Okay. The second thing, it goes on to kind of explain why they didn't succeed. Okay, It says, first of all, because they did not pursue it by faith. That means to follow. They did not follow the law by faith. And as we've been talking about this entire time, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Ephesians 2.8 speaks to this when it says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, so that no man can boast. I'm going to give you guys an example this morning. Let's say I build a complex model airplane. And uh, I'm putting all these little pieces together. But I decided, you know, I'm not going to follow the directions. I can figure this out. I can, I can make this airplane. And so I put all these little pieces together. And there happens to be this one screw in the end, and I'm trying to figure out where it goes. And so I put it in a certain spot and screw it in. And okay, I, look, I stand back and look at it. It's beautiful. Looks like an amazing airplane. I'm really pleased with my work. And I pick it up to carry it to the shelf to put it on display, and it falls to pieces in my hands. Verse 32. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if, as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. And I want to take you to Acts chapter 4.11 a minute where it says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, speaking to the Israelites, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Okay, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the stone which completes the structure. There are other words used in Scripture, capstone, keystone. And what that means is, when you build a structure, it is the stone that not only completes the project, but holds it all together. If you were to remove that stone, the entire construction would fall to pieces. And here they stumbled over it. Okay? They, they missed the screw. They missed the screw that needed to go in a certain spot to hold the entire plane together. And they missed that, and they stumbled over it because they did not want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Now, let's give them a little bit of credit. As it goes on, it says, They have zeal. Verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have, sorry, verse 2, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Very similar to progressive Christianity. There's a passion for God. They talk about their priority is to love God and love others. Great things. That's the first and greatest commandment, right? But in carrying that out, loving God and loving others isn't enough by itself unless there is faith in Jesus Christ which enables us to do that. So, it goes on to say they're trying to determine for themselves what righteousness is. Okay, they, they have this zeal, they have this passion, but they don't have a knowledge of what the standard actually is. Or, in some cases, they've denied what that standard actually is. 
So they don't want to accept God's standard. Romans 3.12 says, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, not even one. Zeal without knowledge is really spoken about in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to take you there just for a second. Because as it explains about those who have denied Jesus Christ, it describes that lack of knowledge. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That suppress means to like hogtie, to restrain, to hold back, okay? There is a denial and we're, we're shoving it back in the corner because we don't want to accept the fact that God has created this world and that we are to put our faith in Christ. We would like to set our own standard of what righteousness is, our own standard of how we should live in this world and not have others tell us what is wrong or right about our behavior. And so we're going to shove that behind us and suppress that truth so we can continue to live ungodly lives. What does it go on to say? Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Okay, so now their minds are starting to be corrupted because of their denial of God to the point where they can't even think clearly about what the truth and the righteous standard of God is. Okay, and you go on, verse 22, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of a mortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. And so you can see this digression that has happened, whereas man has denied God, their mind has been numbed. It has been kind of turned off to any kind of logical thinking, and they cannot even understand the righteous standard of God. But they are zealous, they're passionate, and they try to passionately live by the standard that they have created. And this is what happened with the Israelites. Okay, A great example of this is, if you look at the Israelites, they added lots of their own laws outside of what God had given them in the Old Testament. One of those was in regard to how they treated the Sabbath. And so when they're yelling at the disciples for partaking of some food on the Sabbath, what does Jesus say to them? The Sabbath wasn't made for, or sorry, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. So Jesus corrects their thinking. They had made their own standard of righteousness, and in a legalistic way, they were trying to follow that to feel like they were pleasing God. And yet, Jesus is saying, You got it wrong. You mixed it up. You set your own standard of righteousness. This is not what God meant. So, and then Paul's final point here. I've got to find Romans 10 again. He says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so we know that they've missed it. They have stumbled and they've missed the fact that Jesus Christ is the key piece to our salvation. It cannot be acquired by our good works. It cannot be acquired by us setting a great righteous standard of our own for living can only be acquired through Jesus Christ. And so he concludes with Christ is the end, the definition and the fulfillment 
of the law. If we want to look at what God's righteous standard is, we look at Jesus Christ. He is our example. That's what it's saying here. If we want to know what God's righteous standard is for how we should live, we look at the life of Jesus Christ, and we recognize that all of us fall short. You can look at the Sermon on the Mount as an example because um, you can see where... the the Israelites were living by a lot of different laws like, laws like, well, you should not commit adultery. Well, Jesus, when he comes to them, he says, okay, you, you've set this standard of this law, but you've misinterpreted the meaning of it. God says that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery. And so Jesus pointed out that their standard was wrong, and that God's standard went to the heart, not just to the outward action. And so a lot of people think they're living by a righteous standard because maybe they haven't gone out and committed murder physically, but Jesus says, well, if you've hated your brother, been jealous and angry towards someone, you've committed murder in your heart. And so therefore everyone has broken God's standard, God's law. So Christ is our example. He is the end, the definition, the fulfillment of God's righteous standard And these are the reasons why the Israelites did not succeed in being justified. We can make ourselves look good on the outside. We can do many good things, but we cannot purify our hearts. Only Jesus can do that. So what we want to do is we're going to look at an example from the Old Testament, and this kind of ties into our whole subject of faith, because in Hebrews 11.31, Rahab is mentioned. And it says this, By faith... Uh, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So, I can handle that. Okay, Rahab was spared because of her faith. That's what it says here in Hebrews. But it gets a little more difficult because we go to the book of James. James chapter 2 And this is what James says. He talks about Abraham and then Rahab. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was acting along with his works, and the faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, not... Also, Rahab the prostitute, justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Oh, wait. Rahab was justified because of the good she did? Was she? Was she justified by her works? By being a good person? Well, let's look a little more closely at the passage together. Okay, because I think it's really important. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to hang out there for a little bit. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read. I hope you'll read along with me. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, 
Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went up and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them and on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Pick up on some of the verbiage here. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond in the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our lives for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And later in the story, you find out that Rahab and her family lived among the Israelites to this day because of her act. Not of good works, but of faith. Okay? I want to qualify a couple of things here. First of all, let me see if I got, no, okay. That's where we're still at, okay? I want you to pick up on a couple things from this passage. First of all, she would not have qualified as a good person by anyone's standards, okay? Even by social humanist standards of today, prostitution is not condoned. It is not something we support or encourage or say is okay in our society. She would not have qualified as a good person. If her efforts were to be a good person, she would have turned in the spies, wouldn't she? She would have protected her townspeople from the future impending destruction that was about to happen. She would have submitted to the authority when the soldiers showed up to try to acquire the spies. She would not have lied to them if her purpose and if her endeavor was to be a good person. No. What she did was an act of faith. And we have to be careful. I don't believe that God ever condones her for lying here. But I want you to pick up on those words that we emphasized here. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She said, we have heard how the Lord did these things. And then she makes her own personal statement here, for the Lord, your God, he is God. She acknowledges that her faith is in God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. 
and then she asked them to swear to her by the name of God in her behalf. And so here she acknowledges God, like we talked about in Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to him must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him, that he is the one true God, the only God, he is who he says he is. She acknowledges this according to the passage. So she is putting her faith in God, and her actions when she protects the spies are proving where her faith already lies. Okay? And the reason for that is because she puts her own life at risk, doesn't she? She puts her entire family's life at risk. If she had been found out to be a traitor, she probably would have been killed. Okay? But here, her action of protecting the spies shows that her faith in God was already in place. And so the actions were just proof of the faith that she placed in God. And so if we go back to the book of James, what James has been pointing out in his entire message in chapter 2 is that true faith is always accompanied by works. They go hand in hand. They're together. You can't separate them. And it's not that in any way our works are what acquire our salvation or our justification. Scripture is very clear that it is our faith in Christ that acquires our salvation. But that our action upon that faith should happen instantaneously. That is what proves that the faith is in place. Okay? They go hand in hand. Otherwise, you can say you have faith in God and they're just empty words. It's intellectual faith, right? The good works do not save us, but rather they authenticate the faith that's within our hearts. It is the truth, and it happens to go hand in hand with the faith. As I was looking at this passage, my wife and I were on, uh, on a shopping trip yesterday, and that was a lot of fun. Our first time since we've been down here that we actually just went out and went shopping with the kids. But um, I shared this passage with the kids, and uh, we kind of brought up some discussion in the van while we were riding, and it was really good. But one of the things that we both noticed was there's a beautiful picture of grace here. And I don't want to leave this passage without, without noticing it, okay? Because a lot of people feel like they can't come to God unless they clean up their act. Unless they clean up their life. But here you have Rahab in the midst of a lie, <laughs> protecting the spies and putting her faith in God. And while we don't condone the lie, in the midst of that, you can see the grace of God and the fact that she was included with the people of Israel even until this day because of her act of faith. God takes us as we are and then brings us along, sanctifying us, making us more righteous. And so be careful as Christians that we don't ever put a burden on someone that they need to somehow get rid of an addiction before they can be welcome at church that they need to somehow take care of a problem before they can come on their knees to Christ. No, he takes us as we are in the midst of our sin, and he begins a new work in us because on our own we can never be righteous. Rahab could have never been qualified as a good person 
or earned salvation by her works. But her action in that moment proved that there was a faith in God that was in place. So you go back to Romans 10 to conclude. And he goes on. Okay, what is saving faith? There it is. Okay, I knew we'd get there. All right. We're going to jump back and look at the Gentiles. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. The Gentiles were not pursuing a righteous life. They weren't even trying to be really, really good. And yet somehow they have attained righteousness. Well, how did they do that? We could go back to the model airplane example. They followed the directions. When they were presented with the key, when they were presented with the cornerstone, when they were presented with the screw, and they put it in the proper place, the entire thing holds together. Colossians 1, 15-20. Listen to this verse. He is, speaking of Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Gentiles found the key. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, even in the midst of their unrighteousness, they were saved. They were justified. They were declared righteous by God because of their faith in Christ alone. Paul continues to emphasize that point down in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. With the heart one believes, speaking of faith. One puts their faith in Jesus Christ and is declared righteous is justified. But right along with that, you see again, there's an outward action that is authenticating or showing proof that the faith exists. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Don't look at that as two steps, but look at that as together. That is one simultaneous event putting our faith in Christ. And as I say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior right now. I am also speaking out loud to all of you, testifying to the fact with my words that what is in my heart is true. We have to be careful as Christians because there are a lot of people who have been placed with the weight of works upon their shoulders and they can't bear it. When we were missionaries in Papua New Guinea, um, Amo was in our house 
two times, three times a week. Okay? And we built a relationship with her. And we tried to talk about Jesus with her, and others had tried to talk about Jesus with her, and she did not want to hear anything about it. And the reason for that was that she grew up in a community where a Seventh-day Adventist missions organization had come in and planted a church in her community and had bound them by the law, by works. And so therefore, if she was going to go to church, she could not chew buai, which was kind of like a form of tobacco here. She could not play cards. She could not eat something other, or she could not eat pig, pork, which is the main animal, (laughs) the main source of meat in Papua New Guinea. Okay? So all these laws were laid upon her, and she expressed the fact that she, she gave up. She was like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't follow all those things, so I stopped going to church. I was like, why even try? And that's forever in her mind associated with Christianity, and so she doesn't want to hear anything about it because to her, it's a law that she will never be able to fulfill on her own. The weight of works upon her shoulders. And I'm afraid with this new movement of progressive Christianity, as much as they try to be good people and perform good works and love God and love others, it is always going to fall short without faith in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we need to be the ones to protect and promote true saving faith. What is true salvation? Oh yeah, I was going to read that. And Paul actually continues with that if you look at verses 14 through 16. Because as he goes through this thought process, he says, how then will they call on him? Remember, they had zeal without knowledge. They had passion without knowledge. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring, who preach the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that is salvation by faith alone through the grace of God, not by a weight of works. And so how do we protect and promote a saving faith as a church family? I was thinking about this. Well, within the passage, it's pretty clear. Don't leave people with a zeal, but no knowledge. There are lots of people who are passionate to be good people. We have family members who we know, they, they seek to be a good person all the time. They're generous with their money. They're kind and caring towards their grandkids and nephews and nieces, and yet there's no saving faith in Jesus Christ. And when the end comes, they may say, well, I was a good person, at least in my outward actions in this life, but I never met God's righteous standard. And they will not be justified. So share your knowledge of God with those you encounter because they may may be passionate 
but they don't have the knowledge of Jesus Christ to go alongside of it. I don't know about you, but I've been surprised how many people I have run into that don't know anything about God or the Bible anymore. I know 10, 20 years ago, all of my friends heard the Bible growing up. Or maybe it was read in their home, even if they weren't a Christian. Or they encountered it at church or even at the school. Okay, And now you're running into kids who don't have a clue. They've never heard of Jesus. They don't know what the Bible says. They don't know the famous Bible stories. Okay, Zeal without knowledge. We need to be the ones that share the knowledge of God. It's mentioned twice in the passage, preach the good news. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the good news that we need to share. And then thirdly, send out gospel bearers from our church. Okay? It may be missionaries, it may be teachers, it may be factory workers. I tell you what, when I worked in the factory for four or five years, that was probably the ripest mission field I've ever lived in. I interacted with coworkers every day who had questions about God, had questions about life, were struggling with issues, and you, you're working alongside each other, so you just talk about stuff. And I had opportunities to lead people to the Lord, or at least to give them the answer to their questions for them to sit and think about. I'm going to end with just sharing a response that a woman gave to Bart Campolo's lecture. Okay, so at the end of his lecture, this is what a woman said. She said, unfortunately, what you implied to this Secular Alliance Corporation, okay, what you encouraged this student group to do to try to compete with Campus Crusade for Christ, she says, it won't work because of one small problem, sin. Humans are prone to be self-centered, selfish, and without the help of the Holy Spirit, any such group will inevitably delve into power plays, gossip, jockeying, etc. It is God who is love that binds groups, organizations, and people with love, and he enables people to overcome our innate self-centeredness. Only an organization of which God is a part of can make itself a distinctive loving community because those who love God are willing to put others before themselves and humble themselves because of their love for God. When Bart spoke, he said the reason he was compelled to join this youth group when he was, uh, I think he said, 14 or 16 years old, the reason he was compelled to join that youth group is because for the first time in his life, he saw 300 youth who were all loving each other. All loving each other, whether they were jocks or geeks. And he said he was blown away by that. But he missed it. He thought they were just being good people. It was because of the faith of Jesus Christ at work within them that they were able to be loving people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the time in your word this morning. Lord, I know this is a really challenging subject. It's among debate in many areas of... um, just wherever we go amongst people. And Father God, I ask that, I I hope that we have gained more um, 
I don't want to say ammunition, but more knowledge, Lord, that we can then better be equipped to share the gospel with others to help them clearly understand that works is never the way that we acquire salvation, but that it is by faith in Jesus Christ and by your grace. And Lord, I just thank you for that because I know that I could never be a good person on my own. And uh, I wish that Bart Campolo understood that. And Lord, we want to pray for his salvation this morning as well. And I ask that you would empower all of us to go out wherever it is in our daily lives where we're interacting with unbelievers, with people who may be zealous and passionate to be good people, but don't have the knowledge of what enables us to be good people, and it's faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would open their eyes, and I pray that you would use us to share that with them. I thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.